Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast brought to you by BibleQuestions.org and the Holly Street Church of Christ. This podcast is dedicated to answering your Bible questions from the Bible. My name is Jeff, and along with Brian, we are the hosts of this program. Welcome to the Bible Questions podcast. My name is Brian. Great to have you along today. And uh, with me is Jeff. Jeff, how's it going this morning? So far, so good. Looking forward to another uh, interesting uh, exploration of uh, one of the uh, topics of God's Word. In today's podcast, we want to talk about Bible authority. You know, Jeff, this is one of these foundational subjects that is really important for us to consider because, unfortunately, in the religious world today, many practice what they are taught by their pastor or preacher or the creed of the denomination that they belong to. When, as we've talked about many times, and of course the premise of this very podcast is to utilize the Bible as our authority, but specifically understand within the Bible what it teaches us about how to establish Bible authority. So we're going to talk about that today. And, you know, even when it comes to the questions that we answer on our website, Jeff, I think you would agree that, you know, we will only use the Bible as our authority, right? In every case, Brian, we we try to provide a scripture-based answer so that people can actually study the Bible for themselves and not just take our word for it. You know, we try to use Bible terms in Bible ways. We try to speak where the Bible speaks, and we try to be silent where the Bible is silent. You know, our goal is to provide a scripture-based answer from God's Word for every question we receive. And then we encourage everyone to study the Bible, as you mentioned, to allow God really to guide your life. And you know, passage that comes to my mind that I think kind of illustrates our goal in life or what our goal should be really as humans. And that is in Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 8, we are told to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. So I think that passage really kind of talks about why it's important, you know, for us to understand God's word so that we can truly lean on his guidance and not our own understanding. Oh, and since he he created mankind, you know, he he knows, you know, what's best for us and where our kind of weaknesses or foibles are and, you know, has given us that kind of instruction for our benefit. Absolutely. And and that's the beauty of the gospel is it literally gives us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness, right? As we're told in Second Peter 1 verse 3. So, you know, Jeff, one important truth that's vital for an answering any Bible question uh, is the source of authority we all should be following from a spiritual perspective. Now, most would probably agree that the Bible must be our source of authority, in all manner or all for all aspects of our life, I should say. And so, you know, Jeff, most religions claim to follow the Bible. And in fact, most religions would probably say that they they do what the Bible teaches. What we tend to find is that they do some of what the Bible teaches. So can you talk a little bit about why there are so many different spiritual beliefs? And if most of us religiously are using the Bible as our source of authority? And that's a real good question. And you're right. There are, you know, so many different, you know, scriptural beliefs, different groups, different denominations, et cetera, that are out there, you know, really countless thousands of different groups on the one hand, all claiming to believe in Jesus or claiming to believe in the Bible, 
but who disagree, unfortunately, over just about everything. I mean, to include the nature of Jesus and God, you know, the uh, authority of quote unquote apostolic succession and church councils to decide, you know, what's right and wrong, you know, how to be saved, uh, the organization of the church, the work of the church, uh, personal morality, uh, Christian sexuality, you, you know, you name it. And the list just goes on and on of all different kinds of topics that everyone seems to be disagreeing on, even though they all kind of claim to be following the same, you know, source of authority. And I really hate to see that because unfortunately that is just exactly opposite to what Jesus himself prayed for, um, you know, on the night of his betrayal. You know, Brian, if you have it handy, can you uh, flip over and read John chapter 17 verses 20 and 21? And I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. Right. And, and you know, one of the things I've heard is because, quote unquote, Christians seemingly can't agree on anything. Um, that, you know, unbelievers will look at that and go, well, you know, if that's what Christianity is all about, you guys can't get your act together. You know, I don't want any part of that. Right. And it, it is a poor witness, if you will, <laughs> to what, you know, Christianity should be. Um, and it wasn't just Jesus. In fact, the Apostle Paul went on to kind of make the, the same appeal in the first letter that we have that he uh, Holy Spirit wrote through him to the Corinthians. Can you do like First uh, Corinthians, say, chapter 1, verse 10? Absolutely. Paul says here, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And And Brian, would you say we see that today? Yeah. You know, it's interesting about both these passages that you had me read was that we clearly see that it is the intent of the Lord, and Paul was certainly echoing that through the Holy Spirit, that we all be united in the truth. And so if someone were to say, does it really matter, you know, like what church I belong to or what religion I belong to? Well, when you read these passages, you would have to answer, well, yes, it does matter because he wanted us to be united. The opposite, of course, is being separated, right? And so if we're not united in the truth, then we're going to have many different religions. Oh, exactly. And, you know, I've heard quotes of, you know, multiple thousands of different religious identifiable religious groups. Uh, I've heard multiple tens of thousands. And it, it really is a sad commentary. Certainly not on Jesus, not on what Paul taught, not on the Bible per se, but on us and our approach, which kind of, you know, leads to, you know, how do we get to where we are? you know, today with all this, uh, you know, controversy, divisions, denominations, et cetera. And, you know, honestly, I, I can't speak for all of them, obviously, but, you know, based on my experience, based on some of the questions, you know, we've had submitted to the website, you know, personally, I, I think I see a, a, some number of factors that are reflected in, uh, based on some of the questions we've uh, received. And, and in some ways, I think they kind of boil down into a couple of things. You know, one is, in some cases, people don't think authority is that important, uh, that there isn't really a need for authority. Beyond that, some people may accept the Bible as, as certainly a source of authority, but not necessarily the source of authority exclusively. 
And then, of course, there's all kinds of failures to, you know, properly interpret, uh, you know, what the Bible actually says. And let me just kind of give you uh, some examples. Some people like to rely on tradition, you know, as a source of authority, like what my parents taught, what my grandparents taught, or perhaps what my uh, local church has, has taught or done, you know, for, you know, years, for a long time. Sometimes it may be relying on the quote-unquote clergy um, as the authority, you know, playing, you know, quote unquote, you know, follow the leader by, you know, accepting or doing what the, you know, priest or pastor or clergy or the church says to do and accepting it somewhat um, blindly, if you will. Some people may, you know, say the Bible is a good source of authority, but at the same time, they reach back to various man-made creeds, church councils, uh, etc. Uh, I think in some cases we've seen questions that, that reflect people are using their feelings or their personal experiences uh, as an authority to appeal to. You know, you may have heard the phrase, you know, quote unquote, it doesn't matter what you believe so long as you are honest sincere, and sincere. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right, right, right. <laughs> That's kind of like an appeal to a feeling, so to speak. I know one thing that kind of trips up a lot of people is they don't understand the difference between the Old Testament uh, and the associated law of Moses that was given to the Israelites and the New Testament and the law of Christ, which was, you know, quote unquote, given to us. And then we see lots of questions or appeals to, well, how much under certain circumstances, uh, what about my tithing, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, or, you know, burning of incense and candles, et cetera. Uh, or, you know, references to priests, which is certainly apparent under the uh, Old Testament. Uh, and then, you know, finally, as an example, uh, as we mentioned a little bit before, you know, properly harmonizing in the sense of, yeah, I can find one verse that says something, but failure to take that verse and all the other verses in the Bible that apply to the same topic and kind of bring them all together, properly align them, bring them into focus. And that could be another problem for people who acknowledge the Bible as a source of authority, but they don't quite know how to bring it into focus, uh, so to speak. Brian, how about you? Can you think of other kinds of um, reasons why people might claim the Bible as a source of authority, but somehow wind up in different places? Yeah, I mean, you kind of touched on it, but to me, I, I agree with what you said earlier. As far as, you know, I, I think it's primarily due to a lack of knowledge or a lack of respect, you might say, for what God's Word teaches. You know, for instance, people who belong to different religions may agree that there is a God and that Jesus is the Son of God, but they may not agree, you know, if it's okay to use instruments in worship, for instance, or if baptism is necessary for salvation. So, you know, ultimately, only the Bible which is God's standard, can unify us from a spiritual perspective. And really the differences between all religions and in, you know, with mankind in general come when we interject man's wisdom into the equation. In fact, it reminds me of what Paul told the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8, where he says, Beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. And so, you know, when we look at, you kind of touched on man-made creeds and church councils and feelings and experiences. When you have all these man-made interjections, if you will, or like our emotions are interjected into this situation or the truth specifically, then it's going to lead 
to us not agreeing on many things, right? And, and having this diversity uh, of religions out there. Well, in some ways that ties back into, you know, your reading earlier of uh, Proverbs chapter three, where it talks about wisdom. And, and I understand there's a, there's a role for logic and reasoning and deduction and those kinds of things. Um, but when you hear people starting to talk about, well, isn't it logical that God would, or isn't it only reasonable that Jesus would let us, you know, start filling in the blank? And you, as you said, you got to be careful because our own quote unquote limited human wisdom can easily trip us up. Absolutely. In fact, if you look throughout the New Testament, Jesus condemned the Pharisees for often using their own rationale and their own logic, you know, once again, treating their own traditions, putting that above the actual truth. And so, yeah, it's a very, very big danger. And so, the, you know, it is important, I think, I, I know you would agree that we talk about this idea of authority, because if the Bible is our authority, it's so critical that we not only understand what the Bible's saying, but that we have enough respect for it that we don't modify it uh, in any way. If we claim to be believers in God and believers in Jesus and that we have, you know, faith in Jesus, uh, et cetera, uh, then that would be the natural next step says, well, I believe it. Well, I believe, yes, I believe Jesus is my savior, but yeah, he said that, but I don't know if I really believe it. It's like, okay, now wait a minute. <laughs> it's almost like a package deal. You can't say, I, I believe in Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. Well, except when I don't want to. Right. Or when, except when he says something that runs contrary to what I might like to do or what I'm maybe used to doing or what my parents taught me or what my pastor says, et cetera. That's right. Yeah. In fact, you know, when we were reading Proverbs 3, 5 through 8 earlier, where it talks about, you know, not just trusting the Lord with all your heart, but making sure that you don't lean on your understanding. You, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And so, yeah, this is uh, this is really important. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 23, Jesus was asked by the chief priests and elders of the people, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? So we even see during the time of Christ, and rightfully so, right? He was the, the Jews asked Jesus by what authority he was doing these things. And so do you agree, Jeff, that it was an appropriate question for Jesus and for even someone to ask someone else today? Well, absolutely. Because if you notice, Jesus responds not by saying, well, you know, you're asking something that you don't really need to ask, you know, demanding authority. No, no, no. He went ahead and went on to uh, explain you know, what was going on. Um, and in some ways, the, the way he responded in this particular passage, I think, drives home really two key points. One is authority is needed, right? Authority is expected. Uh, it, it's a given. <laughs> you, you need to have authority. And as Jesus goes on to say, there's really, when you boil it down, only two sources of which only one is right. That's it. As Jesus goes on to point out. Yep. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, when we look at, uh, I think oftentimes when we compare what we read in the scriptures and the principles in God's word with society, you know, oftentimes it's easy for us and for everybody to understand that, like, for instance, as citizens of this country, there are laws, right? There is an authority for the country, the city, maybe the state that we live in that we all have to abide by. And, and so we all get that, right? If we're speeding, we're going over the speed limit, 
then the authority, right? Then maybe the police officer that's enforcing that law has the right to punish you, if you will, on that. Um, and so from a spiritual perspective, you know, we also must have authority for what we practice religiously or else it would not be possible to be justly judged. In other words, if everyone had their own standard by which to live or their own interpretation of God's word, then in the end, we would all be judged by different standards. And so the beauty of the gospel is God makes it very clear as to how he would like us to live our life, why he created us, what he would like us to do. And that is the standard that we will be judged by. So much like in school, you know, college, high school, whatever it might be, and you take a test, uh, you want that test to be based on the standard that you studied. And if it's not, then you're going to cry foul, right? So anyhow, we sometimes we see that in the physical world, and it, when it comes to the spiritual application, it's a little more difficult for us to see. Well, and, and that's a good point, because I know in, in some cases, as you say, we, we recognize it with respect to, you know, civil government or in schools with, you know, taking of tests, or if you're on the job and you're being certified to handle dangerous material, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, there's certain standards, you go, go into the computer industry, there's standards for, you know, intercommunication and for writing software and hardware communication, whatever. In every realm, sometimes when we step over into the spiritual realm, we go, well, yeah, but over here it's different. You know, so long as you're not doing bad or so long as you have good intent or so long as you're quote unquote doing your best, that'll be fine with God. But as we've already kind of said throughout the podcast, what the book says explicitly in like the passages we've read so far, it's like, well, no, I expect you to stay within the boundaries or within the guardrails of, you know, what has been revealed, you know, stay within, don't go beyond. And, you know, Jesus, you know, my words will judge you on the final day, et cetera. So it's, it's, it's not applicable, you know, authority isn't applicable to everywhere else except religion. It's equally applicable maybe arguably even more applicable <laughs> to there because the consequences are eternal, right? Not just here for the here and now. And that's the key point, right? It's eternal. There are eternal consequences. And in, you know, Matthew seven, uh, chapter seven, verse 21, Jesus said that only those who do the will of my father in heaven will enter the kingdom of heaven. And so why don't we shift gears now and talk a little bit about how Bible authority is established. And that's how we'll kind of wrap up at least this part on authority. And then we can get into maybe a few questions that, that come up about authority. So, you know, how do we understand what God wants us to do? And really, you know, there's, there's three ways, three methods, if you will. And, and the first one is express command. So God gives a command, thou shall, right, do this, for instance. So one example would be over in Acts chapter 22 and verse 16 where Ananias asked Saul, uh, and now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now, this command was given to Saul of Tarsus by Ananias after he had gone to Damascus to wait for the Lord to tell him what to do. Now, Paul had sinned. He was persecuting the church, and so he was in need of forgiveness of sins. Now, to the point you made earlier, Jeff, and I'm glad you brought it as far as, you know, we don't ever want to just take one passage and build a doctrine, for instance, around it. We need to see what the pattern is in the, in the New Testament, in the New Covenant that we live under today. And so one thing that we see, for instance, as it relates to express commands, is that there were many places where there were commands to be baptized. Another one, for instance, is in Acts chapter 2, uh, in verse 38, this was the beginning of the church, you know, and Peter speaking to a large group 
uh, on the day of Pentecost, and he commanded them in Acts 2.38, saying, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Well, why did they need to be forgiven? Well, uh, Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says, All sin and fall short of the glory of God. And in this particular case, he was speaking to people who put Jesus on the cross. And so they were guilty of the sin of putting the Son of God to death. And if we backed up to verse 37 of Acts chapter 2, after Peter convicted them of their sins, it says that they were cut to the heart. In other words, they were convicted. They said, men and brethren, what shall we do? So in other words, they recognized they had a problem with sin. So they were asking, well, what do we need to do? And Peter said, well, you need to repent and you need to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And then one other passage and to kind of show you how this is a consistent principle through God's word. In Acts chapter 10 and verse 48, Peter, who was speaking to Cornelius and other Gentiles, uh, commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And so, you know, these three passages, and really there are several others that make it clear that the Lord commanded men to be baptized for the remission of their sins in the name or by the authority of the Lord. And uh, so anyhow, this is an example of a direct command that all men should follow. So Jeff, let me uh, give you a chance if there's anything that you'd like to add to that. Uh, and I can't remember if we've mentioned the word prior to what you were just referring to, the word pattern. And, you know, with, with commands or express commands, you know, seeing what the pattern is, is certainly important. Uh, you know, understanding, you know, who is doing and within each of the occurrences, you know, who is doing the command, you know, who is being commanded, you know, what's the context, what's the purpose, etc. I mean, we could get silly here and say, well, God commanded Noah to build an ark, therefore we all must build an ark. Well, obviously not, right? Even though it's God, and even though it's command, uh, and even though it was something that needed to be done, obviously it was a you know, singular occurrence, you know, not a regular pattern, right? Um, otherwise, we all better start learning how to build boats. But yeah, following or finding those patterns for those commands. And again, going back to understanding the difference between Old Testament and New Testament. And certainly this is a good example of a command since it's, you know, a key part of what we might call the, uh, you know, the plan of salvation. You know, God says do. Okay. Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 22. Uh, and as we'll kind of see in our next section that I think you're going to kick off in a few moments, we also see those commands being exemplified. So we see a consistent pattern, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Absolutely. And God wanted it to be a pattern that we could follow. And and to that end, you know, we have, in addition to the direct commands, uh, what we might call approved examples. And so, for instance, the Apostle Paul in the letter that he wrote to the church at Corinth encouraged them to imitate or follow his example in serving the Lord. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, he said, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. And then we see he made a similar say, uh, statement to the saints in Philippi when he said in Philippians uh, chapter 4, verse 9, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. So another way that we establish Bible authorities by following the example of godly men like Paul. Paul was not only godly, but he was an inspired man uh, filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, you know, the practices of the apostles and other Christians in the first century 
give us insight into how God expects us to conduct ourselves today. So it's certainly appropriate to look at not just their example, but the example, for instance, of the church and what was done then, and then mimic that example, because we see that's exactly what God wanted. Uh, Thoughts on that, Jeff? Yeah, absolutely. And I think you made a good point. We're not talking about just examples, right? It's, It's things that are more than just, should I say, incidentals? An example that through some kind of mechanism is shown to have been approved, you know, either because of, you know, who it was done by or the endorsement of those that were, you know, associated with it. Um, in some cases, I've even heard the phrase approved apostolic example, not just following, you know, and again, you could go really extreme and silly, you know, Judas without, was an apostle and he went out and hung himself. So therefore we should too. It's like, you know, no, 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 no. You know, approved apostolic examples. And again, especially if you see it in a pattern uh, in multiple cases, uh, which I was going to make a, the point a little bit earlier with the direct command with baptism. You can see that now as being exemplified in the early church, you know, throughout the book of Acts, you know, in, in I and I could be wrong, but I think in just about every case of conversion, there's belief, which a lot of people today say, yes, absolutely, you have to believe. And baptism in just about every case, you know, some connection with baptism or with water, etc. Which a lot of people today would say, well, no, no, baptism doesn't have anything to do with you know obeying the gospel or the, or the plan of salvation. Yeah, and to that point, I mean, you're exactly right. When you look in the book of Acts and you see the Philippian jailer and you see Lydia and her household, Cornelius and his household, the Ethiopian eunuch, all of these, in every single case, they were baptized for the remission of their sins. And so, you know, we should follow that same example, not only because it's commanded, but as you just pointed out, because we see examples of that. And those examples tell us that they understood what God expected. And so therefore they did it. Again, coming back to the way we instruct today, you know, classroom instructions or parental instructions, you know, did, for instance, did your dad ever say, Brian, clean your room, right? (laughs) (laughs) Probably. (laughs) Right, right. You know, a direct command. Um, But likewise, did he ever show you what he wanted done? Absolutely. You bet. It's just natural in every realm, natural within the religious realm as well. That's right. That's right. And, you know, I, th- I think the key is when we talk about looking at examples, we're talking about biblical examples. And, and I know you weren't suggesting that we look at other religions, but I do know of people who say, well, you know, for instance, the, the Catholic Church or whoever has been doing it this way for years. Okay, well, men can be wrong, right? And so only if what people right. practice align with what's taught in the truth, uh, does it make it a viable example? A good point. And, and we're using the term example, not tradition. There you go. <laughs> and that, that's a, that, yeah, that's a good distinction to make. Thank you. Yeah, the last one. So we talked about, you know, express command, approved example, and then also necessary inference. And so another way to establish Bible authority is through necessary inference. And when you look at a definition, for instance, according to the American Heritage Dictionary of the English language, the word inference is defined as the act or process of deriving logical conclusions from premises known or assumed to be true. And so I think most of us know that, right? That's the official definition. But, you know, the idea of necessary means that we cannot reasonably come to any other conclusion based on the facts presented. So some like to 
say the facts result in a, a forced conclusion, if you will. Uh, so in other words, any reasonable person, if you want to you know, use that generic term, would come to this conclusion based on the facts, right? Courts will operate that way, right? With evidence and so forth. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. And so based on the definition, it's important for us to realize that something inferred is not spelled out directly like a command. When something is inferred, we are drawing a conclusion based on a truth that is either stated or understood. So for instance, in Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 29, uh, Jesus instituted what's commonly referred to as the Lord's Supper. And he taught his disciples that they should partake of the bread, the unleavened bread and the fruit of the vine or, or grape juice in remembrance of him. And we see in Acts chapter 20 and verse seven that the Christians came together on the first day of the week to break bread. So as a side note here, we do see that it tells us when they came together, right? The first day of the week. But uh, it doesn't say that they came to break bread and to drink the fruit of the vine. Well, it's just assumed if Jesus established what's called the Lord's Supper and they partook of the bread, that they would have also partook of uh, the, the fruit of the vine. And so, you know, that's just a necessary inference that we can make. And so, you know, through these three methods, we can properly understand what God expects from us spiritually. So whether it is that direct command, whether it's a proved example or necessary inference. And so uh, any other thoughts on that, Jeff? Uh, and of the three, maybe it's that third one that, you know, necessary inference or forced conclusion that may be a little bit more challenging, you know, to kind of understand in, in actual application. But I like the way you referred to, you know, like the court system, um, the weight of the evidence that's presented mm-hmm. um, and coming to what really is, you know, a, a, a good conclusion, you know, based on the weight of the evidence. Uh, in fact, you know, even coming back to the, uh, the frequency of the Lord's Supper, you know, you could make an argument, you know, based on the weight of the evidence, certainly in Paul's letter to the first Corinthians or his first letter to the Corinthians, I think it's like chapter 11, you know, he's talking about, you know, when you come together and you're observing the Lord's Supper, and then he goes on into, I think, chapters 12, 13, and 14, talking about, and when you're exercising spiritual gifts, you know, in a group, in the assembly, most likely, uh, and then rolling on into, I think it's chapter 16, where there's a special financial need. And he says, okay, let each of you, you know, uh, you know on the first day of the week. And so now we have, you know, Lord's Supper in one chapter. We have a, exercising of spiritual gifts, you know, in a couple chapters. And one chapter right after that, we're referring to, you know, first day of the week. Well, does it seem reasonable based on all of that, that the Lord's Supper, likewise, in the assembly during the first day of the week, along with exercising of the spiritual gifts in the early church, along with collection for financial needs? I think that's very reasonable. Absolutely. Even though it's not, right, even though it's not explicit. You know, the weight of the evidence certainly points you in that direction. That's right. And, you know, when you look at what scholars say and you look at those that have really studied the scriptures and they come to the same conclusion, but, you know, ultimately it's not because they came to that conclusion, but that you go, as you've just pointed out, right? First Corinthians 11, First Corinthians 16, Matthew 26, and, and each of us studied individually and say, yeah, I, I agree that that's exactly what's being taught. And, and ultimately, that's how we arrive at the truth, is by proving from the scriptures and using these different methods to establish authority and, and you know, establish why we practice what we practice, if you will. 
So for this last segment here, Jeff, why don't we share some of the questions um, that that some may have regarding Bible authority, and let's just talk a little bit about you know what the Bible says. Okay, well, so we can uh, kind of ping pong back and forth. Let me, you know, toss a couple representative questions at you and, and see how you might, you know, respond. Uh, for instance, you know, who really decides what the standard is for right and wrong? Because we hear that in today's culture, if we're talking about, you know, biblical-based, you know, sexuality, for example, uh, or you know, the topic of homosexuality or abortion or whatever, who are you, you know, to decide what's right and wrong? What kind of answer would you give to that, maybe? Yeah, there you know, there's something called relativism, and moral relativism says that you and I decide our own standard. That's a man-made philosophy. Uh, according to the Bible, it's God, right? He he created us. He has every right to dictate how we live our lives because he did in fact create us. But it's not a matter of dictation, if you will. In fact, one passage I really love because I think it illustrates you know, why God created us is Ephesians chapter two and verse 10, where it says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God not only loved us enough to give us a life, but he, he made us what we sometimes call free moral agents, right? He gave us the ability to decide for ourselves how we will live our life. But he wanted us to understand that he created us to do good works and that he prepared a whole host of things beforehand, right? Before the foundation of the world to tell us how we should live our life and how we can do these good works that he wants us to do. And uh, one other passage that comes to my mind is 2 Timothy 3 uh, verses 16 and 17, where it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why is that? Well, verse 17 says that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so I think those are a couple of passages that really summarize, you know, this, this uh, or answers a question, I guess I should say, right? Of who decides a standard for right and wrong? And, and that's good. And in fact, one of the things we sometimes see with questions submitted to the website are people saying, well, isn't it a good work if we, and you'll fill in the blank, even though it's not mentioned in the scriptures, even though it, it arguably it might be a good thing, generally speaking, to go do, but is it, one, as you said, is it one of those works that God has defined within the scripture, you know, unto every good work? <laughs> and if you come to the conclusion that, you know, it's not there in the scripture, you might think it's a good work. You might feel it's a good work, but in reality, you know, if, if you ask God, so to speak, you say, well, I, I didn't ask for it. <laughs> right. Send, you know, send the kid to the grocery store and the kid go, got, buys a bunch of candy, which, you know, you didn't tell him to go do. And he comes back home and you get into this argument about, well, the kid says, well, I thought it was good <laughs> to go get buy all this candy. And the dad says, uh, son, you didn't pay attention to what I asked you to do. Yeah, that's so important, especially in re religious realm, because there's been so much added to, you know, what the Lord has asked us to do in the name of good works. But yet it, it conflicts with what he has asked us to do. And, and, you know, when God defines what you should do, it rules out everything else, right? Okay, so let me throw another one at you, since you did so well with that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
why is authority so important? I mean, why emphasize it? I mean, it seems like, you know, you people, quote unquote, Church of Christ, sure do spend a lot of time talking about the Bible and book, chapter and verse and emphasizing authority and, you know, the scriptures as your sole basis for truth, et cetera. Why is it that important? Seems like you're legal, you know, legalist, you know, Pharisee kind of. Yeah. Yeah, harsh, right? You're so strict and all of that. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Way too conservative, whatever term. Well, you know, we were talking earlier about the secular realm. And I think, you know, for instance, if you had a blueprint to build an airplane and you said, well, I know we're supposed to do, you know, these three things, but I want to modify it a little bit. I, I would prefer we do it this way. It's not necessarily based on sound engineering. I didn't necessarily get approval to do it. Then I think it'll be okay. And you make those modifications to the airplane. Is there a problem with that? Well, absolutely. First off, it wouldn't pass the inspection, right? It would be looked at and rejected because it didn't follow the pattern. And so in the religious realm, it's the same thing. Uh, and you made the point earlier, and I think you're spot on as far as, you know, sometimes it's easy for us to see it in the physical realm, but not the spiritual. Or we say, hey, in the spiritual, we have much more latitude. Well, you know, the Lord makes it very clear that authority is so important because he wants us to be united in the truth as we read about earlier and we can only be united if we understand and practice the same things if we make modifications that's not going to happen and so it's so critical and more the most important thing of course is that we want to be pleasing to god uh, jesus said in john chapter 12 and verse 48 you know he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him the word that i've spoken will judge him in the last day. And so his words are so very important. Good points. Now, did you want to turn the tables and, and try to uh, fire a few questions at me? Absolutely. So <laughs> what do they fair say? Game, Turn right? about <laughs> is fair play. Yeah. That's uh, what they say. So how about this one? Here, here's a question. When is an example binding? That's a good one. Um, and we, we touched on it briefly earlier, but let me perhaps go into a little bit more detail. I mean, first of all, we have to you know look at the context. You know, who is doing the example? Okay. Um, are we talking about just some normal person just going about his day-to-day -day business and it just so happened that he did X? Well, okay, that may not have much weight. But if we're talking about the apostles and doing something that is, you know, consistent with the rest of the scriptures, and I have to pause for a moment because as soon as I said the apostles, I got to thinking, well, you know, didn't Peter go somewhere? And for a while he was uh, associating with the Gentiles, as he should. And then some Jewish brethren came to town and he started being a hypocrite and withdrew from the Gentiles. Right. And so Peter, even though he was an apostle and even though he had done this example of hypocrisy, you know, Paul said, hey, time out, Peter. <laughs> you're, you're not doing what's right. And I want to say Colossians, is that Colossians chapter two? I don't exactly remember where that one is. We can look that up later, perhaps. Um, so first of all, yeah, who's doing it? And you know, what are the circumstances? Why are they doing it? I mean, is this something consistent with the teachings of Jesus, the teachings of the other apostles, the teachings of the other inspired people, you know, within the Bible? You know, is it consistent with the rest of the scriptures or does it run against other scriptures, like, for example, an example with Peter and hypocrisy. Um, the other example, and this can really kind of trip people up, culture. Mm -hmm. right? Sometimes what people were doing 
was you know based on their culture at the time and i know that can be certainly abused you know and i know some people say well you know some of paul's prohibitions to or restrictions on the role of women etc well you know that was a cultural thing or that was just paul etc but when you look at the reasons paul gives um in terms of the creation and adam and eve etc it, it's not just culture it goes beyond culture I think you had mentioned before we started recording the example of Jesus uh, on the night he was betrayed, washing the disciples' feet. And in fact, in that context, he actually commanded them, you know, to do as I have done unto you. And some people today obviously will take that literally. And, you know, once a year, often associated with, you know, Passover time or what's called Easter, you know, they'll have the ceremony where someone will actually physically go and wash feet. But as we were talking about earlier offline, it's not the actual foot washing. It is the example of servitude and humility and not just a once a year thing. It's our attitude and the way we should, you know, conduct ourselves. So here's an example, interestingly enough, that was commanded, but not to be taken necessarily literally but more figuratively throughout our entire life. So there's any number of different um, aspects. It often is not cut and dried, which we ha- why we have to dig deeper. That's right. That's, that's spot on. In fact, you know, on our website, we have a, a study that folks can go through on their own if they'd like to just call Principles of Effective Bible Study. And one of the things that it talks about is context. And when you think about properly understanding the Bible, it's so critical to follow certain principles, right? We just talked about some of them, but but like context, like, you know, what was the context as you just stated, Jesus washing his disciples' feet? Who was the audience that he was speaking to? There's all these principles. The good news is that it's not a very long list, right? In other words, <laughs> right. I think sometimes people get a little nervous because they think, well, scholar to understand the Bible. No, but it's just important, as you stated, to understand you know, what the culture was like then. People would walk around, their feet would become filthy just from the dust because they always had sandals on and they were in the desert. And so it was absolutely part of the culture to have the servants of a household wash the feet of visitors. And it certainly wasn't normal for someone like Jesus to do it. So, you know, to your point about humility, Jesus was showing what it meant to be a true servant because here's the son of God not a servant by definition, right? But he was saying, yeah, I'm your spiritual servant because I'm willing to to wash your feet. Therefore, have this same mentality, right? Serve others. Be willing to do things that may some may look to say that's kind of beneath me, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if, if we wanted to look at that today. All right, how about I ask you one more question and then we'll, okay. uh, we'll wrap, wrap up, up this podcast. <laughs> so sometimes people might ask, does the silence of the scriptures prohibit or permit? And, and that's really a good question, because depending on how you answer that question or your perspective on that question, you will wind up in polar opposites. Uh, and there's some history behind this. In fact, based on a little bit of research I, I read, you know, back during the time of the Protestant Reformation, two of the main leaders advocated just the opposites on, on this topic. And I think it was Martin Luther that said, well, unless it says explicitly, thou shalt not, you're allowed to do whatever. And another person, I that think- That kind of opens the door up, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. <laughs> it, it, it does. And another 
person by the name of Zwigli said, well, no, the Bible gives you what you should do. And if the Bible doesn't talk about it, you know, you better stay away from it. And so obviously, you know, depending on which which rule you put into the computer, <laughs> you're going to get a completely different answer. And so I guess you know, the legitimate question is, okay, given those two options, what does the Bible say? And certainly you could go back to the scriptures and, and see and get um, appropriate guidance, you know, from God, Holy Spirit, et cetera, on how to answer the question. And so let me offer a couple of different verses. I think Hebrews chapter 7, verse 14 um, is kind of an interesting one on this topic. And the Hebrew writer says, quote, for it is evident that our Lord, Jesus, sprang out of Judah, you know, the tribe of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning the priesthood, which I think is, is insightful because Moses didn't have to say, okay, for the priesthood, okay, nobody from the tribe of Judah, nobody from the tribe of Reuben, no one from the tribe of Simeon, no one from the tribe of blah, 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 blah. He just said, okay, you folks from the tribe of Levi, you're the ones. It must be and from that, Levi. And that rules right. everybody else. That rules everybody else out, right? And so you have that principle now. Hebrews 7, 14. Uh, here's maybe another one. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 6. Quote, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively, and this is Paul speaking, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, mm-hmm. that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against another. And let me throw you one more. Second John, verse 9. Whosoever goeth onward beyond and abide not in the teaching of Christ hath not God. He that abides in the teaching, the same hath both the Father and the Son. So again, the Bible itself certainly seems to say, hey, trust in God, trust in the Lord, don't lean on your understanding, stay within, you know, quote unquote, what is written. If it's if it's beyond, you know, stay away from it. Um, I'm not going to give you, as you said earlier, you know, 10,000 thou shalt nots. <laughs> right. I'll give you a lot of what thou shalt. And you, you need to kind of stay within. Now, admittedly, some of our listeners may go, oh, come on, Jeff. Are you saying I have to give up the TV, that I have to give up the internet, that I have to give up the computer, that I have to give up, you know, modern medical procedures? No, we're, we're not talking about those things. We're talking about, you know, things that are very religious nature. Yeah. Spiritual you know, principles and so spiritual yeah. principles that you can take those spiritual principles and begin, even though they're like 2000 years old, at least, and begin to apply within, even within our modern, you know, technological um, environment that we find. So how's that? Yeah. And, and what's critical to me and it's good news, I guess, really for us as in general is that God has spelled out for us his commands, his rules, his principles very clearly. And so anything beyond that, as you read, uh, anything different than that, anything that modifies what God has asked us to do will not be acceptable. And can you imagine how many volumes the Bible would be if it had to tell us everything that we should not do? It, it just would be Readable. unwieldy, right? <laughs> yeah, but instead God said, here are the principles, here are the guidelines, here is the truth. Now you make application to different parts of your life. Well, and especially if you try to cover, which would make no sense at all, all the thou shalt nots, you know, beginning with the first century and roll it forward to cover several thousand years of 
people, culture, language, technology, absolutely, you know, that, I mean, something as silly as, you know, thou, you know, looking on a woman to lust after, okay, thou shalt not use the TV to do that. Thou shalt not use the radio to do that. Thou shalt not use the internet to do that. It'd be just totally, I mean, the, the, the world cannot contain all of right. the books necessary to do that. And, I, and God and his wisdom, you know, would real, realize that and gave us something that we can actually, you know, read and follow. Absolutely. Yeah. Good discussion. And, you know, we, we hope it kind of lay the foundation to say, you know, the, the very premise Bible questions and Bible answers from the Bible, right. Suggest right, exactly that it's all about the Bible and it's all about having enough respect for God's word that when we have a question, we look into that word for answers. And uh, we also have many resources, right, Jeff, on our website where if if, uh, folks would like to go over and get more information about what we've been talking about, uh, where where can they find that? Well, absolutely. Well, and, you know, the whole subject of authority, how to establish authority and the things we've been talking about, really, honestly, is just scratching the tip of the iceberg. There, there's so much more we could talk about, but <laughs> we have to be somewhat constrained in the length of our podcast. But if someone is still interested in digging even deeper, and there is a whole lot more, you know, go to our website, biblequestions.org. If you look under the menu item with the label of topics, we have uh, literally an A to Z topical list or list of topics. And if you look under, for instance, A for authority, uh, we have almost 30 articles there. If you look under B for Bible study, I think we have almost 40 articles there. Uh, C for controversy, uh, I think has close to a dozen. U for unity, likewise, it's close to a dozen. And those are all kind of individual um, articles, so to speak, If you under the topics menu item. If you look under the lessons uh, menu item, especially under the lessons how to study, got uh, at least two multi-part lessons, at least one of them, which is interactive, which Brian, I think you administer back and forth with people who submit, uh, interpreting the Bible, right? Uh, As well as quote unquote, effective Bible study, which is more of like a downloadable PDF uh, that has material and questions that you can work on your own. So lots of material at our website at biblequestions.org. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Bible Questions podcast. We invite you to visit our website, biblequestions.org, where you can submit a Bible question to be answered. And you can also search archives where we have answered several hundred Bible questions over the years. Our website also has a host of free Bible study material, free correspondence courses, as well as sermons and a host of other material. Please stop by and check it out.